Welcome to the BJ Psych International Podcast. In this episode... Because this is, again, a huge ethical issue, and you will kind of like start policing people. Rather than being a doctor, you will become a police officer. Dr. George Michelides, on his co-written article, Community Treatment Orders, International Perspective. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the BJ Psych International Podcast. I am Sachin Shah, a general adult psychiatry trainee working in London, and I am joined by... Hamilton Morin, an FY1 doctor currently working at St. Thomas's Hospital. Today we are discussing an article in the November issue of the journal entitled Community Treatment Orders, International Perspective. Hamilton, what is this article about? Well, as the abstract states, the use of community treatment orders, or CTOs, is available in more than 70 jurisdictions around the world. Although CTOs are used extensively, their effectiveness remains doubtful. The article comments on the existing evidence and focuses on components that influence the outcomes of CTOs internationally. The article finds it essential to identify factors that affect the delivery of CTOs and finds that mixed methodologies may improve our understanding regarding the efficiency of CTOs. And for more information on this article, we will be speaking to Dr. George Michelides, who co-wrote the article, later on. But for now, Hamilton, shall we lay the groundwork about this article? Of course. Community treatment orders vary worldwide. But essentially, they are intended to ensure the provision of supervised treatment for patients outside the hospital setting, even if involuntarily. In the UK, a CTO is a power allowing certain detained patients to leave hospital and continue with an agreed treatment plan while living in the community. Mostly, conditions will relate to making sure a patient takes medication and making sure a patient attends their appointments. The forceful part of the CTO is that the responsible clinician can make the decision to recall the patient to hospital if they either believe the patient needs to be in hospital for treatment of their mental disorder and that if they were not recalled there, they would be a risk to the health or safety of the patient or safety of others. Or if the patient breaches any of the mandatory conditions placed by the CTO. Dr. Richard O'Reilly identified arguments for and against CTOs in a 2004 article published in the Canadian Journal of Psychiatry entitled, Why Are Community Treatment Orders Controversial? Arguments in favour of CTOs included that CTOs are a predictable and acceptable consequence of deinstitutionalization. That society has an obligation to care for citizens who cannot care for themselves. That lack of awareness of mental illness is a persistent symptom for many patients. That offering services is often not enough when patients lack insight. That the assumption that physicians can safely manage patients by detaining them just at the point they become dangerous is mistaken and that CTOs are less restrictive than involuntary hospitalization. However, arguments against CTOs included society should never coerce individuals to take treatment, CTOs extend coercion into the community, it is more difficult to protect patients' rights in the community, if we had sufficient services, we would not need CTOs, coercion will be used as an alternative to providing adequate service, People should not be coerced to accept services when there are others willing to accept but who cannot access them. 
people often refuse medications because of side effects or other bona fide reasons. Research on CTOs is inconclusive. CTOs will be used to sweep undesirable individuals off the streets. Hospitals will fill up with non-adherent patients. And coercion drives people away from the mental health system. We looked at an article by Ian Cummins, who is a senior lecturer in social work at the University of Salford. He wrote on the National Health Service website that CTOs were not making up for a crisis in mental health care and social care. He wrote that mental health policy from the late 1980s was driven by failures in community care. The response to those failures was based on legislation rather than on looking at the issues of funding and real engagement of service users and their families. He continued that these issues remain needing to be tackled along with the fundamental problems that face mental health services as they struggle to cope with the retrenchment in public services. He wrote that the stark reality is legislation such as CTOs cannot solve these issues. The vision of community care, properly funded community-based mental health services, has never been realised. The danger is that the current crisis means that its ideals are lost, creating a vacuum where the introduction of CTOs are seen as part of the answer, rather than an indication of the state of the crisis that has been reached. For more on this matter of community treatment orders internationally, we spoke to Dr. George Michalides, who co-wrote the article for the November issue of the journal. I'm Dr. George Michalides. I'm a consultant psychiatrist. I was trained in London, and that's where I got my CCT and MRC psych, and I'm currently practicing in Cyprus and doing telepsychiatry with Psychiatry UK for private patients as well. Can I ask what your background is with CTOs? So I have been doing quite a few things, actually. I'm currently also doing a PhD with a master university on the use of RTMS, repetitive transcranial magnetic stimulation, which is licensed for depression. And I'm doing a research on smoking cessation by using RTMS. I'm also doing different things in the sense that I'm looking into researching things as to do with magnetic stimulation and applying innovative, let's say, things in my practice, like ketamine treatment, etc. What I found interesting about community treatment orders at the time where CTO came into play in London, I was specializing, I was actually co-training in psychiatry in Hackney. So at the time, we had quite a few patients that it, they were quite difficult to be managed in the sense that the so-called revolving door phenomenon, where patients keep on coming to the hospital, being sectioned, and had to be formally given uh, medications and, and treatment against their wills uh, as an inpatient treatment. And obviously, when these patients got discharged back to the community, we always relatively quite often we were faced with a challenge how to manage these patients because CTO was not available. So in the sense, it was a quite interesting legal term that came around to be applied in the Mental Health Act in the UK. And I was quite fascinated to, to just follow this up and try to see if there is any actual data to back up the use of community treatment orders not just in the UK, but in a more international aspect and look into if there is any evidence, let's say in, in the States or in Australia, where it has been applied for several decades.
I know what CTOs are within the UK, but you, of course, describe the use of similar legislation throughout the world, and there's definitely different variances. So within a research context, what is the core essence of a CTO? I suppose it's very important to engage our patients into treatment, especially as I had described in the paper that we have patients that they lack insight into their illness. And I suppose uh, for those decision-making capacity, if it's not available in a way to decide for themselves that they require treatment to maintain a stable mental state, then we need to think what we can do for our patients to help them be well and keep them well. In the sense, some people will argue that this is a very paternalistic way of administrating medication to patients that perhaps they don't want to be on medications. But on the other hand, there is some evidence to suggest that supervision of these patients can have some benefit. I suppose there are some studies in Australia that they looked at what was the experience of patients being on a CTO. Some of them, they didn't like it because it was quite a coercive uh, way of monitoring their mental health. But some others, they did like it because in a way they had a more structured way of living, a more structured supervision and making sure that they keep well. I suppose there was a recent Norwegian study published in 2018 in regards to the experiences in an assertive community treatment order under a community treatment order had highest recovery rates if they were compared with patients who were not placed on a CTO. So in a way, we tend to try and think what we can do to be helpful to our patients as paramount, but also we need to think in a more advanced way how we can manage risk. How can we manage risk in the community? And in some countries around the world, this risk management lies with the psychiatrists and they were with the community mental health teams, where in other countries, it's a much more free and less responsibility friendly, I would say, to the psychiatrists. And perhaps the families or the social services have the responsibility to make sure that someone keeps up with their mental health. And perhaps if there is a risk identified in the context of a mental disorder, then the patient might need to be sectioned and be treated against their will in uh, hospitals or sometimes being placed after that on a community treatment order and continue to be managed in the community. And you mentioned that the form in which CTOs take throughout the world differ. So the one I'm most familiar with within the UK is that, and as you mentioned, psychiatrists have the major responsibility for initiating and extending CTOs although the patient can apply for a tribunal. Yes, uh, there is an issue there as well, because I did experience being a consultant in London for a few months prior to my leave to Cyprus, and I had a patient on a CTO that obviously we had to go on a tribunal. And there is a lot of defensive practice, I will have to highlight that, in the UK, and not just in the UK, but generally in many countries, where there is a lot of responsibility with clinician, and in this case, uh, within the mental health services, within the psychiatrists, they might even argue just in the sense to argue and they would be much happier sometimes even their patients to be taken off CTO through the tribunal rather than taking the responsibility on their own shoulders and discharge someone from a CTO. That sounds quite a challenge, I suppose, and but that's actually a reality. And it does make sometimes 
the availability of this tool, perhaps our practice even more uh, defensive. Just to outline that in our paper, we did mention that perhaps if it's to be thinking about uh, risk management in the community, perhaps CTOs might have a benefit. But on the other hand, we're talking about having 238 patients on community tuna orders just to avoid one arrest. So uh, I think that's spectacular in the sense that someone can think about how many people they will need to be sectioned in a way or managed uh, formally in the community. It's a huge number. And I think there are a lot of ethical issues that need to be addressed, a lot of ethical issues that need to be considered in terms of using community tuning orders. I think community tuning orders can be used and could have a benefit but the research is not huge there to show us this, what we have been expecting for the last decade, really. When you describe, is there any evidence for the efficacy of CTOs? You mentioned in your article that the research which is being done on it looks at particular outcome measures. So what outcome measures are they currently looking for in research? So I suppose one big study and study which actually had a three-year follow-up, and I'm referring to Ochtes' study, found some association, for example, between community treatment use and engagement with services. But this is not quite clear if those effects are due to the use of CTOs or they were just as the cause of mental illness, it was not clear. I understand that a lot of the time they're trying to look into reduction in relapse uh, rates or hospital bed days or adherence or quality of life. There are different studies which are trying to use either qualitative data or quantitative data referring to patients' experiences and also experiences that they were collected by staff applying the community treatment order. The way you describe community treatment orders that may actually be overly restrictive in terms of the risk that they are trying to prevent, over 200 CTOs required to prevent even an arrest. From an ethical standpoint, what ethical objections exist to CTOs? I suppose in terms of if we have patients on CTOs, then obviously in a way we restrain some of their liberties. Uh, for example, we can point out where to leave, not to drink alcohol, regularly come and see our psychiatrists, not to use any drugs. I suppose in a way some of these uh, kind of human rights, someone might argue that uh, these are violated. And uh, perhaps, for example, even being on an antipsychotic medication, someone might argue that I'm stable now in my mental health. I had five previous relapses. I understand that every time I stop antipsychotics, I relapse within six months, let's say. But I can be free of antipsychotics for six months. But CTO does not allow that. Uh, CTO actually, in a way, uh, monitors patients, especially on depot injections, on depot antipsychotics, that in case, let's say, you don't come for your monthly injection, then you'll return to hospital to have that done on you involuntarily. Where without the use of CTOs, you'll expect someone to relapse prior to having this treatment. So someone might argue that someone could be free from antipsychotics for several months until they relapse. And then there is a need to kind of restart the antipsychotic. Obviously, we all as psychiatrists and as consultant psychiatrists, we follow certain guidelines and we do know our patients with psychotic illnesses and schizophrenia, they might need consistency and they might need to have monthly injections, etc. But I'm just arguing in the sense of the sake of the patient's say in these regards. 
I think this is most important or most evident when the patient has insight into their illness and is able to make those decisions. And you mentioned this in terms of insight being an important factor in CTOs. CTOs are useful if patients agree to concord with them. Which patients are best for this? And is insight a factor? I think insight is a factor. And you might argue if someone does have an insight into their illness, then probably CTOs don't have a great benefit in the sense that patients will probably take their medications, do the right thing in inverted commas, I would say. So the difficulty lies with patients that they lack capacity and in a way capacity in decision making in regards to their mental illness and, and perhaps this is to do with psychotic illnesses, as I have mentioned in the paper. I think it becomes more complex when you think about, for example, let's say personality disorders. And we're referring to severe personality disorders and, and antisocial personality or paranoid personality disorders where they could be on the verge of psychosis or not even having a psychotic illness and someone could be placed on a CTO. I think that's a huge argument here, and I think things are not quite clear what we're trying to help here. And I suppose in the UK, a lot of the time, which I do advocate for, is personality disorders, especially when they become a threat towards others, they need to follow the route of the legal court proceedings, really, rather than being sectioned or even being placed on a CTO for violent behaviors, etc., just to consider that uh, people with uh, personality disorders, let's say 50% of those are in prison. So we already have a huge number of criminals being identified as uh, having a personality disorders as high as 50% in prisons. So I think we need to try and focus perhaps more on patients with psychotic illnesses when we do use the CTO and for which perhaps the decision-making capacity should be the number one factor. But on the other hand, people might say, I do have the capacity, I do know when I stop the medications, I relapse, but I want to be free from antipsychotics for one month so I have a better sex life. What do we say to that? Mm. I think those are the ethical issues that we need to consider. And the quality of life of some patients in terms of the side effects that uh, antipsychotics might give might be compromised. And you mentioned in the paper that you're aligned with the opinion that patients who can express a preference for future treatment when they might lose capacity should be able to make those decisions ahead of time. Yeah, I think that's a pretty legal right, I would say. So we're all kind of like judged as having capacity unless otherwise someone else says something else. So we can all lose our capacity to decide for certain things in different times, depending on different factors. So advanced decision-making, I think it could be applied to pretty much everyone, even in patients with psychotic illnesses or even in patients that they have other difficulties such as dementia, etc. So I think it's important to have the right while you do have the capacity and you do have the insight to be able to take certain decisions for yourself and for your own well-being. And I suppose these decisions would primarily involve how the person wishes to be treated, what treatment they prefer. But ultimately, I suppose the concept of a CTO, as you mentioned, is a risk-averse concept where ultimately there would be a level of risk which would require overriding of even previously held preferences. 
That's absolutely right. And the things are not quite clear even there. That is why there is still an argument about CTOs. It doesn't seem that, you know, people are kind of like saved in a way from homicides or from serious incidents. Literature has not proven yet that CTOs can be of such a great kind of advantage of having it in a way that the whole society will be in a less risk, let's say, even though we can even just start to think that alcohol and drug use, those are the ones that they can increase your risk to become violent towards others rather than psychotic illnesses. If you take them into consideration, you can see that there is a huge difference between the two. So here is the argument again. Will you try to use CTO in patients in addictions? Because this is, again, a huge ethical issue and you will kind of like start policing people rather than being a doctor. You will become a police officer. Uh, have you done a drug test? All right. And when was the last time you had used drugs and what was the last violent behavior? So I suppose everything has to be in place in a way that every professional is actually doing what they're supposed to be doing. I know that forensic psychiatry has advanced in the UK and in other countries as well. And different treatment options are offered, even in medium-secured units, let's say in patients with personality disorders. But what are these success rates? I think we have to try and think about what are the outcomes. Do we help people with their violent behavior, with having years of psychotherapy? Do we help them by injecting them with antipsychotics of license, let's say, in personality disorders to try and help them and sedate them in a way to try and help them with their behaviors. Those are ethical issues that we all need to take into consideration when we do apply either the Mental Health Act 1983 in the UK or different mental health acts around the world. Things are not 100% clear. That is why sometimes we do have, or most of the time, we have a second opinion when we apply a Mental Health Act. Why do we need a second opinion doctor? Why do we have a social workers or an approved mental health professional opinion? It seems that sometimes an opinion from one person is not enough and perhaps it's not as clear as it should be. I mean, that takes me just backwards a bit into talking about the responsibility for initiating these CTOs and how certainly within the UK, it sits with psychiatrists, which you described, results in perhaps defensive practice. But how does that differ across the world? Are there countries where, say, courts handle these decisions? So I suppose, for example, as I'm currently based uh, physically, at least in Cyprus, there is no community treatment orders. We do have an equivalent of mental health law, let's say, in Cyprus. But ultimately, the responsibility lies with social services, the police, and the family to ask for a court order for someone to be examined by one psychiatrist. The psychiatrist prepares a report for the court, and ultimately, is court's decision if someone is to be sectioned in a mental health hospital. Pretty much, I understand in many European countries, it's quite similar to what we have in Cyprus. And in most European countries, we don't tend to see uh, CTOs in the way that we see them in other westernized countries, such as the States and Australia and the UK. So I suppose sharing responsibility or the responsibility which lies on the psychiatrists is less 
that is if it's to be compared with the countries I just mentioned. So basically, the court will decide if someone needs to be treated, obviously having a psychiatric report in a mental health hospital. But then, in a way, the patients, they will receive a month or two of treatment and they will be discharged back to the community. And for patients that, of course, they had done something serious, maybe there is no, is not covered by the legal system, which sounds scary in a way. For example, there was a case in Cyprus that there are different cases, obviously, maybe it's not the purpose of this discussion, but if someone could look on incidents that happened in Cyprus in the last few years, then some people will, could argue what has happened there, because some other people could argue that there is not the right legal framework to kind of like prevent these incidents from happening. But I think even where this legal framework exists, like in the UK, I don't think it's going to prevent a serious incidents from happening as what we can see at least at this moment in time in literature. Do you think there's an effect on community services when there is the existence of CTO frameworks? I think, for example, A, that CTOs are only as effective as the intervention that then gets put in place alongside them. But also, if CTOs were not available, then your community services would have to be far more assertive. Yeah, I think that it's an interesting point, which is probably something that the research can be done to look into that. But when you feel that, let's say, the ball is in your field and someone can tell you, look, you have the option of a CTO for this guy who is violent. You have the option of this CTO for this patient that had three admissions this year in hospital. Why didn't you use it? And that can be argued in a court of law, I suppose, in the UK, where in Cyprus, argument cannot be made. So obviously things could work in a different way, but research is not there to compare those different parameters and decide if there is actually a difference between those services applied. But you could be, as you have said, I, I do agree with you that you could be more alert or more alarmed when someone is on a CTO because you will feel that the responsibility lies with the responsible officer. One shift within CTOs that you do comment on within your article is countries favoring supported decision-making rather than substituted decision-making, such as Australia, which have changed their legislation or framework. Can you comment on what's changed in Australia and how that might have affected CTO use? I think that could be difficult in the way that we can, uh, let's say, in terms of uh, different areas having different ways of, of managing CTOs. So obviously Australia operates in a federal legal system with nine separate jurisdictions, one at the federal level and one for each state of territory or territory. So I think things are quite more complicated if we are to talk about specific states and if different states and different federal level uh, states that work in a different way. But what we, we tend to think is that their arguments that the violation of someone's human rights and can make a shift towards a changes in the legal system and towards using the mental health law, I would say. Now, ultimately, your paper is a call for further research and for an understanding of deficiencies in CTOs around the world, how they should be addressed, and therefore what outcome measures should be measured, but then ultimately further research into how effective CTOs are. What further research do you feel is needed into CTOs on an international level? That's a good point, and I am actually stating this 
in our conclusion in regards to this, I think we need to use a more uh, pluralistic kind of method design, a mixture of combining quantitative and qualitative data and also trying to address into a multi-dimensional aspect patients' experiences, also mental health services in a different way, experiences from consultants, experiences from social workers, experiences from occupational therapies. I think if we're trying to use a traditional study design, which has happened so far, we don't actually have the right information there. We don't have the right information in regards to which patients are the best candidates in regards to applying the CTOs and what are the actual results? I think we have a huge lack of results in terms of qualitative and quantitative data, which could be matched together in a more mixed methodology, I would say. Is there anything that I've not asked about, but you feel is pertinent or important to mention? I think just to sum up in a couple of seconds, I would say is CTOs could be of a benefit, but we need to look into applying CTOs perhaps in a much more, let's say, vigorous way and trying to identify the best patients for CTOs to be applied. It's a good tool just as, as it stands as anecdotal evidence, I would say, by psychiatrists. Let's hope from anecdotal evidence this will apply in a more evidence-based practice, I would say. And we thank Dr. Mikavides for that interview and taking us through his paper on the state of CTOs around the world, their effectiveness, and what more can be done to research their effectiveness. Hamilton, what did you reckon? Well, generally, I'm aware of historically an attempt to shift from keeping psychiatric patients as inpatients, the sort of deinstitutionalization, as there is evidence to suggest that many people do better in the community in terms of recovery. And it is interesting as different countries have different ideas or different attitudes towards mental health treatment in the community. During my own elective in Japan, I very much enjoyed seeing psychiatric facilities in a Tokyo hospital. And I found it quite interesting to learn that actually, and I would need to check this figure again, but from an article I read, I believe it's anywhere between 15 and 20% of the world's psychiatric inpatient beds are based in Japan. Yeah, I'll just check that out for you. So we've got the Japan Times, which lists back in 2014 that Japan's psychiatric hospitals had 344,000 beds, which is said to account for about 19% of the estimated 1.85 million psychiatric beds worldwide. Certainly, Japan is noted to have the highest number of psychiatric hospital beds, both in absolute and relative terms. Which is a very high number, whereas I suppose in the UK, more and more we're seeing attempts to treat people in the community, which of course is in theory ideal if there are the resources and people available to make sure it happens and if it is also indeed in the patient's best interests. I think you do hit on something there, 
about community services being ideal, but only if the community services are well funded and resourced to tackle the illness burden that there is in the community. What we've identified through the pre-reading certainly is that there's a concern that CTOs are making up for a vacuum in social care and community mental health care. And perhaps there would be less of a need for CTOs if community services were effectively funded to be as engaging as they need to be to help people out in the community. Because what the article certainly identifies is that for all the reasons we're using CTOs, CTOs aren't particularly effective. So for example, the article notes that it's been demonstrated that it would take 238 outpatient community treatment orders to prevent just one arrest. So using community treatment orders for the safety of others, it's a very strong tool which doesn't actually protect as many people as you'd hope. I mean, if it were any other intervention with a number needed to treat that high, <laughs> it really wouldn't be ideal now, would it? And the article also notes that there are reviews and randomized control trials and anecdotal evidence that there are no benefits to CTOs in terms of patient interests, no reduction in relapse rates, and crucially, considering that one big reason that healthcare services tend to use CTOs is to reduce hospital admissions, the article states that reviews have not found reductions in hospital bed days and no improvement in adherence to medication or treatment and no improvement to quality of life. Now, there are other conflicting evidences which show that CTOs are effective in certain measures, but it goes to show that perhaps this method of ensuring treatment in the community is perhaps not as helpful as we think it is. And perhaps the place that we do need to be looking is properly funding community health care and properly funding community social care. I'm sure we've had discussions before about the fact that if social care and community services were funded properly, to be honest, in any country, it would substantially cut down the requirement and need for mental health services and for psychiatrists in the country. So I suppose it's natural that some patients are ambivalent about CTOs. And of course, it's understandable that CTOs in some cases can be seen as coercive. But I think it was interesting to read about those patients who actually find it beneficial and find that it helps provide them with structure for their care in their community, improving their outcomes and aiding in their recovery. Yeah, in fact, the article does note that community treatment orders can bring a sense of security and can be viewed as a step towards community stability despite reduced treatment choice. And then stability in the community can reduce stigma, which can outweigh some of the associated feelings that patients can feel of restriction. I will leave you with the article's conclusion, which states that CTOs aim to improve engagement and treatment adherence. One perspective is that their paternalistic style contributes to patients becoming disengaged from mental health services while another is that supervision might help patients to improve their mental health when recovery is difficult to achieve. It would, however, be valuable to research the area further to justify the use of CTOs at an international level and ensure that they are targeting the most appropriate populations, 
while enhancing decision parameters and the conditions under which a patient is placed on a CTO. Clinical research tends to use quantitative approaches, but the use of mixed method designs in research on patients' recovery can offer improved insights and provide novel perspectives. Each patient experiences treatment, their own mental status, and mental health services in a different way. This may contribute to the mixed results reported by various studies, along with the difficulties of obtaining reliable data and making comparisons across different methodologies. Thus, we need pluralistic approaches in addition to traditional study designs that can provide novel information regarding the delivery of CTOs. Thank you for listening to the podcast. And we will speak to you again for more discussion of articles within the BJ Psych International. I have been Sachin Shah. And I've been Hamilton Morin. Bye. Thank you for listening to this BJ Psych International podcast. For the latest updates, follow us on Twitter at the BJ Psych. To listen to more podcasts from the BJ Psych Journal portfolio, visit us on SoundCloud or search for us online.